thought, well, this long, awkward pause might be God telling me to sing, but God quickly shut the idea down. Um, I appreciate Mike up there. You know, we're asking for help in our tech area. We need a new soundboard or at least someone to fix it and do a lot to it. So be praying. We have had conversations with people about getting getting something new and getting something repaired. Just pray for all that. But it's so hard on these guys. I always feel bad for them when something goes wrong because it's so difficult to do that anyway. Thank God for the help we do have. Amen. We're going to look at Ruth chapter 2, but I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 25 right now. Deuteronomy chapter 25. We're going to talk about God's grace uh, and how important that is in our life. We're going to talk about several things today we find in Ruth. First of all, just a little bit of explanation. The kinsman redeemer is an interesting concept in the Bible. Uh, they were someone who acted as a guarantor or a guarantor of uh, family's protection. They would buy property that the family had to sell during difficult times. They'd buy it back. They'd pro- provide an heir if a, a family member had died by having a family member marry the wife and, and have a child brought about. And they would... Uh, redeem things that were lost, maybe redeem someone from slavery. They would even avenge people who had murdered a family member. They'd go kill that person. Uh, they did have cities of refuge. You understand there's more to it than that. But we, we know that these concepts are clearly seen in the book of Ruth, and we'll talk about that more in a moment. But I always review, just not review, but remind you of the introductory materials in Ruth because I want you to have something memorized uh, after we're done with teaching through the book of Ruth. So you'll remember certain things. We know that Samuel wrote this book. Uh, I have mistakenly said Solomon a time or two, but I know it's Samuel. And we know he wrote it about 1,100 to 1,000 years to 1,100 years before Christ came into the earth. And I've even mistakenly said a thousand years ago. And sometimes, why do I know that? I listen to myself preach and then I critique myself. You see, I was a homiletics hermeneutics teacher, so I listened. I, oh, my word, did I ever blow that? Uh, you don't realize all the goopy things you say. But we know Samuel wrote it. It's one of the five books the Jews read annually. And this was read at the harvest time. They'd read the book publicly. You have to stand and read the whole book. We're not going to do that to you this morning. But it's a great story of redemption. And we've said there are several great types. Naomi uh, was a type, of course, of Israel. Israel was scattered, and she she was uh, scattered uh, to uh, Moab, and and lost her inheritance, and and all that. Of course, her redeemer would buy it back for her when she returned to the land. And one day, the Lord's going to give Israel their land back. And we know that Ruth is a type of the church, a Gentile, a Moabite, brought in an alien, a stranger, and God brought her into the fold. And of course, Boaz is a type of the father, the redeemer. And we've reviewed that, said that each week. Last week we looked at bitter roots, bitterness and how it's enrooted in the lives of people. And some people are just so bitter, it just, they just, it just oozes out of them and you don't want to be around them and you want to say to them, what's wrong with you? You're so mean. We looked at that last week. This week we're going to look at grace and I'm thankful for the grace of God. I love Isaiah 60 verse 16. It says, I the Lord am thy savior and thy redeemer. First Peter says we're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. And by the way, money is one of the roots of corruption, isn't it? We're redeemed with a precious blood. 
you know, a sinless Savior shed His blood to redeem us. And so we're thankful for that. In Genesis chapter 38, it says here, And Judah said to Onan, Go in unto thy brother's wife and marry her and raise up seed to thy brother. The concept of the kinsman redeemer went way back even before the law. How did they know it? Well, God talked with them. We know that. Abraham knew about tithing before the law was given. Why? God told him. God talked with Abraham in Genesis 18 in his tent. God talked with Adam in the Garden of Eden. We know God did speak to them. So let's stand and read Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 5. Deuteronomy chapter 25 and verse 5. Just this one brief verse, and then we'll go to Ruth for our study. It says, if brethren dwell together, Deuteronomy 25.5, if brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. This is called the Leverite marriage. That's a Latin word. And it means brother-in-law marriage. And you're thinking, man, I hope that doesn't happen to me. I don't like my brother-in-law or I don't like my sister-in-law. That was what God set up to prevent poverty and to take care of his people. Now, he didn't allow for immorality and multiple marriages. That's not what we're saying. But that's what God had instructed them to do. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, always timely. A book that's 3,500 years old, you thank you for giving it to us, Lord. And Lord, we can learn by gleaning handfuls on purpose because you leave so much for us to understand. Some we don't understand, we may not understand till, till we see you, but thank you for your word and for us to be able to study it, learn, and glean from it. Blessed now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now we read in verse 1 that Boaz was a mighty man of wealth. A lot of mighty men in the Bible. You ever studied the mighty men? You remember... Uh, Jephthah was called a mighty man. Gideon was called a mighty man. Naaman was a Syrian, but he was what? A mighty man, but of course he was a leper. He was also sin sick. And here we have a mighty man of wealth, Boaz, one of the wealthy men of the Bible. And we find in verse 2, it says here, And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. Now over in chapter 2, verse 17, So she gleaned in the field until even, and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. So people ask, well, was it corn or was it barley? It was barley that she gleaned. Corn is used to help us understand because, uh, you know, the English-speaking world, we use corn. But So she gleaned about three-quarters of a bash, b- bushel of, of barley. That was enough to feed them, enough for them to share. Uh, I, I, you know, and she was, she was going out to glean, uh, to take care of her mother-in-law. I love that about her. But she says here, I shall find grace. And so she's trusting that God will give her enough and take care of her. And that's, of course, the grace of God. We, we get what we don't deserve with the grace of God. And so she was depending on the grace of God as she gleaned. Now, the word glean means to gather. In fact, it's translated, that Hebrew word's translated gather many, many times in your Bible. I think the verb's found like 45 times. You remember where they, where they gathered manna? 
You remember they gathered stones, gathering manna, same Hebrew word. So she's gathering food. Now we're going to go to Leviticus chapter 19. Turn over to Leviticus chapter 19. And we will look at another requirement of the uh, kinsman redeemer. Leviticus 19 verse 10. It says here in 19.10, And thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of the vineyard. Thou shalt leave them for the poor and stranger. I am the Lord God. I am, I'm Yahweh, your Elohim. And of course, Jesus is God, isn't he? He was God in the flesh. And he says, leave some on purpose for the poor. Yeah, it's interesting to, to study this book and to try to apply these concepts to today. We're so selfish. We don't take care of the poor. We don't take care of our neighbors. Some people don't even take care of their own kids. They neglect their own kids. The Bible clearly requires us to think of the poor. Now, that doesn't mean to give your tithes and offerings to the poor. It doesn't mean to neglect your family to give to the poor. I'm not saying that. And and I'm not saying to give to the lazy man either. The Bible said if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't doesn't say that about women and children. It says it about men. But here is the Scripture stating to leave some on purpose. And we'll find that phrase, handfuls on purpose, in the book of Ruth. Now, I love Ruth, and I love her for so many reasons. I love her because she's a hard worker. She's going to take care of her mother-in-law. She followed her mother-in-law and said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to love your God, love you, take care of you, and she's a believer. And what does she do? She gets up and says to her mother-in-law, I'm, I'm going to glean. I'm going to trust God's grace, and I'm going to take care of you. I love that. Uh, she didn't care what people thought of her. She didn't care what people thought of her. Poor person gleaning in the field. That could be a humble experience, right? But she was committed to do the right thing, and she's going to glean. And I love that she's in this field of a stranger. Do you know what you are in this world? You're a pilgrim. This is not our world. And here she's in someone else's world, in someone else's field, and the Bible says the field is the world, and she's gleaning. You know what we're supposed to be doing in this world? We're supposed to be gleaning. I'm glad to have some visitors today. And I wish every Sunday we had visitors. But one thing I wish we would be more passionate about is compelling people to come into the house of God to be saved. That's our calling. The number one reason you're in this world is to glean, and the Bible says the fields are white unto harvest, and that means they're overripe. There are people who need the Lord and want the Lord. And we need to glean that harvest. Now, we know she's gleaning barley for food, but I'm drawing a type or a parallel to the importance of us gleaning because we're told to gather. We're told to harvest. We're told the fields are ready, and we need to quit fouling God because that's the purpose of us being here. I've used the term frangelism. Heard it from a guy named Elmer Towns, loved his teaching. Reach your friends, your relatives, your associates, and your neighbors. Evangelism, I call it frangelism. Reach your friends, relatives, associates, and neighbors. That's why we're here. We're not here to build a mansion on this earth. I love to fish, but I'm not here to fish. Fishing's okay. God allows me some time to fish. I love to watch my ball teams lose usually, and that's okay, not losing, but it's okay to enjoy that once in a while. 
I love Hebrews where it says we need to lay aside every sin and weight. Not all things are sinful. I don't think it's wrong to watch your, your favorite Western or your ball team. But if you watch too much of it, it's become a weight and it's hindering you from serving God. So a lot of things God's given us to enjoy and appreciate, we can misuse, can't we? And do a little too much of it. I met, I knew a guy one time, he lifted weights so much he could hardly straighten his arms out. All he did was lift weights. I thought he was kind of a dumbbell. And I was like, you know, how, how, what does your wife say when you're gone every night from 6 to 10 in the gym five nights a week? Well, she doesn't say nothing. I said, oh, you mean she doesn't talk to you? I mean, you know, you have to balance things out in life. Some people spend all their time on games. And now it's become cell phones. I, I almost laugh if I go into a restaurant and I look over and here's a couple of the tables on their quality time, during their quality time together on a Friday night on their date night, a married couple, and both of them are, I'm like, well, I want to go up and say, do you realize she's sitting across from you? Do you realize he's here? You see, we do so many things in excess, and yet we don't do the work of God. The fields are overripe. They're bent over. That's the idea of being overripe. When wheat bent over, it was so heavy with the fruit, the wheat, that you have to, you have to get out there and you have to glean it. You have to gather it up. And if you don't, it'll rot and spoil. And, and obviously the, the object lesson here is, is very obvious, isn't it? An obvious object lesson. We need to glean. We need to glean. And of course, hard work is also a clear teaching here. She worked hard. She said here in verse 2, I shall find grace. Then in verse 10, she says as she falls on her feet in front of Boaz, why have I found grace in thine eyes? And then in verse uh, 13, she said, let me find favor in thy sight. The word favor is the same Hebrew word. It's word in grace. And I love that, that she was hoping and trusting to find grace, and God would be gracious, and Boaz, a type of God, would be gracious. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Think of Noah, eight people in a miserable, heathen, sick world. You know, think of that, but he found grace. And you know, you can find grace in your life. You can find the grace of God. He's gracious. And the Bible says the grace of God hath appeared to all men. If you're here today, it's by the grace of God you're here. Amen? He gave you health. He gave you the ability to put your clothes on. Not all people have that ability. You have. He, he's given you the opportunity to be here to worship Him. He's been gracious to you just today. In just a few hours that you've been up, He's been gracious. Her motive was not to find a fiancé, but to find food. You know when God called David, what was He doing? He was in the pasture with sheep. Amos was plowing. Peter, James, John, and Andrew were cleaning their nets. God always uses a man who's a hard-working man. A hard, I, I, I heard the joke about a, a boy saying, you know, a joke about his dad being a preacher and not working. And here's what I have to say about that. If you're a preacher and you don't work hard, and I know we don't have any pastors here today, we have several preachers, but they know ministry is hard work, studying. Studying 20, 30 hours a week is, is, is a lot of work. 
and visiting and calling and writing cards and counseling and going to meetings. And then, of course, the, the, the prize is to get up and be able to preach God's word. It's a lot of work. And we ought to be hard workers. And Ruth was, a, Ruth was a hard worker. And we found God called her and God set her aside for a special thing in her life. And we know she would be, of course, the wife of Boaz. Now look at verse 3. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light upon a part of the field belonging to Boaz. This means it just so happened. It just so happened. You ever notice the sovereignty of God? And that, is it a theme we've talked about here? Amen. Here it is again. It just so happened she picked the field of Boaz. I tell Christians, there's no accidents. God has a plan for your life. And things that happen to you don't happen by accident. God's part of the process. It just so happened she is in the field of Boaz. And look in verse 4, it just so happens here, it doesn't say that, but I'm throwing that in there, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you, and they answered, the Lord bless thee. I love that. He had a good relationship with his workers, didn't he? He wasn't an arrogant field owner. He says to his hardworking men, God bless you, and they said, God bless you. I love that. But verse 5, then said Boaz and his servants, who was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? I love that too. I love it all. But here he is, and she just so happens to choose his field. And he just so happens to come from Bethlehem to look over the fields, and he sees her. And obviously she's beautiful to him because he eventually married her and had a child with her. I mean, that's that's cool. And, and, And here it just so happens. It just so happens. And as I said before, this is all God's plan unfolding before our eyes. And so here, he notices her and says, whose damsel is this? Wake up, man. Notice your wife. I love what Solomon does. I don't love Solomon. He's kind of immoral. But you see how he talks to the one he really loves, the one he's pursuing. He comments her lips, comments her eyes. Her hair, he calls it goat's hair. Now, today I wouldn't say that to your wife. But in that time, it went beautiful. And he talks about her hair and her eyes and her lips, and we won't go much further than that because, you know, he talks about a whole lot of stuff. He knew how to talk to his wife. And as a young guy and young married, you know you have all that passion and everything in your marriage. And I I love that, but I'd hear some guy uh, say to a woman, ooh, baby, you look good. And I thought, that's weird. But as I've grown in the Lord, I've thought, you know, I need to say that stuff to my wife. So I say some bizarre stuff sometimes, too. And it's okay. It's okay. Had a couple years ago come for counseling, and she felt evil every time she had a relationship physically with her husband. And I had to tell her, it's not wrong. It's wonderful in God. Enjoy that in your marriage. You don't know what I'm talking about. See me afterwards. (laughs) But the fact of the matter is marriage is wonderful and the bed is undefiled, the Bible says. And so enjoy that and tell your wife how beautiful she is. And describe her in detail, the things you love about her. And don't just do it when you want something in return. Do it all the time. 
I love to hear guys just, you know, and especially when I hear older people just talk to their wife in a special way like that. I think that guy's got it together. He knows how to romance his wife. And we don't see all that when he said, whose damsel in this is this, but we know that he noticed her beauty. And look over in Leviticus again, chapter 25. Back in Leviticus chapter 25. And here in chapter 25 of Leviticus, we're going to look at verse 25. It says here, if thy brother be waxen and poor and has sold away some of his possessions, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. We notice that part of the requirements for a kinsman redeemer was number one, to be related. To be related. Number two, to have the resources. Look in verse 48. In verse 48, and after he is sold, he may be redeemed again. One of his brethren may redeem him. Now, what does it do? What do you have to do to redeem something? You have to be able to afford it and to buy it back. It costs Jesus everything. But here, the relative, if he had means, would have to redeem. And obviously, the other thing in that chapter, we're not going to spend time on it, is, is that you have to be in a position to be able to do it uh, emotionally, and you have to be someone who has a willingness or a readiness or a romantic desire to be with that person. Now, go back to our text. In verse 1, what is Boaz? A mighty man of wealth. Does he have resources? He does. In verse 2, we know that she's in a field, in verse 1, excuse me, in a field owned by a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech, named Boaz. And third, he notices her. No man wants to marry someone they're not attracted to. I mean, men pursue women, and unfortunately, the main reason they start the pursuit is she looks good. Now, it shouldn't be the main reason, but let's be honest, guys. When you're young, you're not saying, I'm looking for a girl who uh, really, really, really is a good Christian. That should be the way we do it. But most of us would have to think back, like, you know, I really kind of thought the girl was cute before I knew she read her Bible. Yeah, that's true. It's not right, but it's the way we are. And so none of us would go out and want to redeem a woman. We were, ugh, I wouldn't want her. No. There has to be that desire for romance. And so all these things Boaz was fulfilling, wasn't he? Because we know he was attracted to her. He had a child with her. He redeemed her. He paid full price for her. You know what? Jesus sees in us the pearl of great price. That's why he redeemed us. Hey, I look in the mirror and I say, Dad, is that you? And I look in the mirror and each year I'm uglier than I was a year before and older. And I think, ooh. And yet, that's not how God looks at me. He looks at my redeemed heart. He sees the blood, and he sees me as valuable. Did you know you're valuable to God? You say, well, my parents rejected me. God loves you. My husband didn't want me. My wife cheated on me. You know, this person, that my job fired me. God's not that way. God is good all the time. God is love. God is love. And he looks at you as valuable. He's going to take you and he's going to develop you and mold you and make you into a special bride. And when he comes to redeem the church, the church is going to be beautiful in his eyes because of what he's done with us.
Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 23. We talked about how how that uh, it just so happened. In, in, in Acts 2.23, you need to mark this in your Bible. It just so happened she chose a field of Boaz. It just so happened he came from Bethlehem and noticed her. Look in Acts 2.23. And here's something we, today we have a lot of problems in, in teachings, in churches, in doctrinal statements. Here it says, him being delivered by the determinate counsel. Jesus Christ was delivered to the cross by a group of men that wanted him dead. And the Romans carried it out, but it was the Jewish leaders, the religious crowd that was involved. But notice it says they were determined, this determinate council. But notice the next line, and what? Foreknowledge of God. Foreknowledge of God. Hey, when you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, in his foreknowledge, he knew that before the world began. I love that. He doesn't limit his atonement to the elect. I've heard that teaching that's wrong. He died for the sins of the whole world. And whosoever will may come. But when you make the decision to come to him, guess what? He already knew that. He already knew you'd be saved. He's called you. He's chosen you. He's filled you with his spirit. He's preparing a place for you. He knew it in his foreknowledge, and he made it happen. Jesus Christ went to the cross not just because the council determined he'd go to the cross, but God in his foreknowledge knew it needed to happen. Why did God know it needed to happen? Because he knew we were sinners. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That actually means before we were even sinning, before we were born as sinners, he already planned this and, and had it carried out Would Jesus go to the cross. He died for the past, present, and future sins, and he died for me. Now back to Ruth. And we find here the mutual respect here. And then we find him noticing her. In verse 6, we see here in verse 6, And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. So he, he said, this is, this is kin to, to Naomi. And the interesting thing is, you know, part of the requirement by law, and uh, I'm not going to spend time to look that up today in Leviticus, but when you gleaned, you were required, as we already said earlier, to leave some on purpose. And in that same passage, it says, leave it there for the alien and the poor, the foreigner and the poor. I mean, the law took care of the outsider and the poor people. And he said, leave it on purpose. And here we find this little Moabite girl. She's a Moabite, an alien, a foreigner, and she's poor. Her, 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 her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Elimelech sold their field, and, and they didn't have any, and they came back to nothing. And she said, well, I'm going to take care of my mother-in-law. She's poor, and she's out gleaning. Evidently, Naomi said, well, you can go glean in someone's field. The law will protect you. Imagine she's a little insecure. She's in a strange land in a strange field doing something she hadn't done before. And what did God do? Just poured his grace on her. You know, I'm a, I was a stranger and you were a stranger. We're aliens, the Bible says. We're outside of the covenant. We're not part of Israel. We're lost. We're on our way to hell. And God saw the value in us and he saved us. I love that. And he grafted me into the family of God. And so... She's asked, she's, she's noticed, verse 7, she asked, she said, 
I pray you, let me glean. Saw such a godly woman, such a respectable person. The law says she could do it. No doubt her mother-in-law says you're okay to do it. But she still has the, 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 the right ad. She asked. She asked. Too many people today expect everything. My kids expected certain things. You know, if you take your kids out for ice cream every Wednesday night after church or to Shoney's, we used to take them to Shoney's. You could, kids could eat free. I think the mess my kids made in Shoney's in those days, whew, I don't know why they kept that policy, but they kept it until my kids were done eating free. But I'd see the mess and think, oh, my word, my kids spilled a Coke and the other one spilled a salad. I wanted to just get out of there and say, they're not mine, they're hers. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it was, it was a good thing, but every Wednesday, oh, it's Shoney's, and we get all we can eat. Then when you miss a Wednesday, what happens? Well, why aren't we going to Shoney's? Well, you've taught them, and now they take it for granted. And you have to say, hey, that, that is something we do, but we can't always do it. And we go outside in the world, and people in the world expect to be taken care of without working, without doing anything. They expect it all. We expect it. We, we deserve it. Not really. We don't deserve anything. Everything we get for God is by grace. We need to be appreciative and re- realize that when God does things for us, it's His grace. We'll look at verse 8. I'm sorry. Verse 8. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter? Go not to glean in another field. Neither go from hence or from here, but abide here fast by thy maidens. Stay here. You don't need to go anywhere. Stay right here. You know another principle I'm going to apply today? How many people do you know that are not content in the field where they are? God's placed you where you are. It's not an accident. You think it was all you, but God in his foreknowledge has worked it out. You know, you, you're where you are. It, 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 you, you're at a job and you may be miserable and not content. Well, I'd like this other position where I make a lot more money. Well, who doesn't want that? But the Bible says to be content. To be content. I went to a home this week of some very poor people. And yet, they were content. They didn't complain. I like that. Because it's going to be worth it when we see Jesus. And one day we're going to have a mansion. Be content where you are and with what you have. And don't seek another field. Just stay where God have you and has you and just, just serve Him. I love John 15, 7. He says, abide in me, and if my words abide in you, you'll ask what you're willing to be given to you. Are you content to abide in God's will? Just trust Him and ask Him. Are you abiding in the Lord? Are you living your own life, or are you living what God has for you? Contentment, the Bible says, with God, and this is great gain. Contentment's important. All of us want a newer, better something. And that's the problem in our lives, the discontentment. And here Boaz, a type of God, says to Ruth, a type of his daughter, even says to her in verse 8, my daughter. He respected her. Verse 12, we drop down to verse 12. The Lord recompensed thee, and he rewarded her. He said, come to my table and we'll share together. I love the story of Mephibosheth. Isn't that an awesome story? (laughs) You know, he's crippled, but he's a descendant of Jonathan. And David says, go find someone. Jonathan was my dear friend. I'm paraphrasing. Go find someone who's related to him. Find some of his kin and find someone who's kin and bring them. And I want to treat them good. And they found Mephibosheth. Well, by the world's eyes, he's... Worthless. The world would say, 
he's nothing. He's not important. I, I won't cross the street to say hi to him. I uh, don't like being a respecter of persons. We see that a lot in our world, don't we? We, we see someone who's poor or in a wheelchair. Well, we don't go out of our way to see him. We'll go out of our way to get an autograph from a, a Hollywood person. Just an FYI, I wouldn't cross the street to get an autograph from a Hollywood person. No offense. Well, yeah, offense. Take offense. Here are people who live their life pretending to be something they're not, and we get advice from them. They speak out, and all the news people quote them. I'd never quote one of them. <laughs> but but we, we, we respect them, and then the person over here, you know, we, we don't care about the poor and the outcast. And you know what? In God's eyes are just as important. Right? Did you know that? Did you know the, the handicapped person is as important as anybody in this world? And the, the poor person is as important as any of us in this room? And we have to understand that. And so she respectfully asked him to glean. He says to her, my daughter, I'll reward you. And he does. I love that. Look at verse 8. He permits her to, to, to reap. Verse 8, he, he provides for. It says here, glean in my field. Don't go somewhere else. Notice verse 9, he protects her. He says to his workers, he said, watch over her. Take care of her. I love that. Men, you're responsible to pr- provide for your wife and to protect her. I know a lot of marriages today where the wife's working, the husband doesn't. And if there's reasons for it, that's understandable. But sometimes the man's lazy. I've had couples come and say, we're really struggling financially, and, and she has a, she's a nurse. What does he do? Well, he, he doesn't work. He doesn't really want to work. Now, I have to be sweet as a counselor. I want to say, you bum. You bum. You lazy slob. But I don't do that. I say it after he leaves. No. I tell someone else that. No. But you, you want to just say, you know, you're just wrong, and you have to say it in a loving way and say, you know, you need to get a job. Take the stress off your wife. It's so old-fashioned now to say the best thing women do is, is rear children. I couldn't take care of my kids like my wife could. I'd be upset, stressed out, and my wife would have to say, calm down, it's okay. I'd be like, what in the world's going on here? Women are special. They are special. They can bring children to the world and have that nurturing built into their system. And we don't have that. And so here's a woman that's husband doesn't work, and she takes care of the kids as best she can, and she works. And you're like, what is going on here? Why have we gotten so far from Scripture? Do we really believe this book? Some of these are Christian people. It's awfully quiet in here. (laughs) But I love again verse 10. I have found, why have I found grace in thine eyes? I love that. She's humble like David. And you look, notice that he noticed her character. He, he, he later pursues her, but we find in verse 11, Boaz answered and said, it hath been fully, has fully been shown me. He says, I, I've noticed you. I've noticed what you have done. And I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you take care of your mother-in-law and you work hard and I respect that. It's what he says. We just don't know the Hebrew quite as well as we would love to know it, but he noticed her hard work, her godly character. She's taking care of her mother-in-law. Some people push her mother off, off a cliff, but she took care of her. 
I love that about her. She's so, so godly, and he notices that. And, and look at verse 12. The Lord recompense me, give you a full reward. He said, the Lord God of Israel, Yahweh Elohim, he says, under whose wings thou hast come to trust. I love the all the times in the Bible you find the eagle. And you find the eagle in, in, in Deuteronomy 32 and Exodus 19. And what does the eagle do? He protects and he provides. And all men are supposed to protect and provide. We don't always do that for our families, but we're supposed to. Sometimes you have to work two and three jobs to take care of your kids. You've got to take care of them. It's what God calls you to do. And she says here then in verse 13, let me find favor. And I love verse 14. Boaz said unto her, at mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip of the morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers and he reached her parched he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and he, it was sufficient, and, and had some left over. When Jesus fed 5,000, uh, there was bread left over. What he does, he reaches over and hands her some of his food. I love that. Remember Mephibosheth? Worthless as far as the world. Sat at the king's table forever. I will feast at Jesus' table all the time. He says to me, come and dine. I'm part of, you're part of my family now, and forever I'm going to be with the Lord. Mephibosheth spent the rest of his life with David, and Ruth would spend the rest of her life with Boaz. He said, let's share this meal together. When I first got married, I didn't understand the meal-sharing thing. My wife always wanted to bite of my food. And I'd say, you got a plate of food there. You should have ordered this bigger meal. Well, I always wanted the bigger meal. It always bugged me. We went to a restaurant one time. We both ordered dessert, and hers came twice as big as mine. I'm like, what is wrong with that waiter? <laughs> Of course, she probably had room for it where I didn't, you know, as I was overweight and she's always skinny. And, and she would take a bite out of my meal and you have to learn in marriage that that's part of it. At first, you're like agitated because I really wanted that entire steak and I didn't <laughs> want to share that steak. Look at Boaz. He's a type of God, isn't he? He says, have some of mine. Share with me. I love that. I love that men wake up again. And this wasn't supposed to be about men today, but we can learn from the Word of God so much. And, and then, of course, this disclosedness. Do you remember the upper room? What did they do? They took a piece of bread and they dipped it. And they all shared one bowl of dipping sauce. And they all dipped it. Jesus during that infant time of fellowship, is breaking bread with the disciples, fellowshipping with them, that closeness, and the closeness between a groom and a bride is, is symbolized there as he's dipping and sharing. He's even sharing and offering to share with people who would stab him in the back, with Judas Iscariot, with Peter who would deny him, and he's, he's offering them that sweet fellowship. I love that. I love that. And we close with verse 15. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man, saying, Let her glean, even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. Reproach her not. The word reproach could be translated shame. You know what I love about the Lord? Today it's all been about Jesus. He's deserving, isn't he? Amen. King of kings, Lord of lords, perfect Savior, perfect Lamb, perfect sacrifice. You know what I love about him? When he went to the cross, he didn't just bear my sins, he also bore my shame. Just think if you had been exposed publicly for every sin you ever committed, we'd all be hiding right now, wouldn't we? 
If you knew my heart and my past, you wouldn't want to ever hear from me again. You know what God's done? He's borne my shame. He's borne my shame. He stood the gap for me, and I don't deserve it. My dad caught me so many times doing stuff wrong, I was so ashamed to face my dad. I'd have to go to the dinner table and think, oh, did he tell mom how many of my siblings know what I did? But you know what Jesus did? He bore all that. Saved us the embarrassment of having to stand before our Heavenly Father and be exposed at the great white throne judgment for God to say, how dare you have done that for the whole world to see what we did. Jesus bore my sin and Jesus bore my shame. If you're here today, He's died for your sin and He'd love to save you. If you're not saved, I'd, I'd run to the altar today and say, I want to be saved because it's all about His grace and His favor. And you know what He's done for me and what He's done for you if you're a believer? He's given you handfuls on purpose throughout your life. Sometimes I worry and think, how am I going to pay this bill? How am I going to do this? And the Holy Spirit says, I've taken care of you for 65 years, dumb man. I'm going to take care of you some more. He didn't call me dummy, but I feel like one. God is good. He sent His Son to die for us so that we can glean in the field and have handfuls on purpose. And so we, we can recognize the greatness of God as He protects us and provides for us and watches over us. Thank God for Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your Word today. Your Word is always good, Lord. I'm not very good all the time at delivering it, but you laid this in my heart, and I know how you can speak to hearts, and I know there are people today who needed this. And I don't know who, and I don't know hearts, but you do. God, I pray if there's anybody here, you'll nudge them. Your Holy Spirit will nudge them and say, it's time to be saved. Maybe he'll nudge, you'll nudge somebody, Lord, and you with your Holy Spirit to say, you need to get this thing settled and right. You need to be about your Father's business. I don't know, God, but I pray that your word will stay with people all week long and that this little Ruth and this Naomi will come to mind as we live our week realizing you're there. You're on time. You're always right. Thank you, God, for who you are and providing Jesus, the perfect substitute. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.